All right. Let's start with some confession. It's confession time. They say confession's good for the soul. I want some confessions. Who here, and be honest, who here is a master procrastinator? Who's a massive, 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 master, massive procrastinator? You know how to put things off. You're great at saying, I'll do it in a bit. I will do it just in a bit. I'll do it, I'll do it tomorrow. I just, um, I'm just going to grab a snack quickly. I'll see what's in the fridge, and then I'll get to doing it. The thing I find funniest about procrastination is when we procrastinate by doing random other jobs. You know what I'm talking about? Like, when you actually have a really productive day, just not doing the thing you meant to do. Like, you're sat there looking at all the bills you're supposed to be paying, and you kind of look up, and you notice your DVD collection, you're like... You know, it would be really good if I just organised them into genre, because it just, you know, it would make more sense, and I'll do these bills in a sec, I just, I'll get to that. I remember when I was doing my GCSEs, my bedroom was the tidiest it had ever been. Like, I hated revision, so I, I literally remember at one point spending half an hour organising my pants. Like, I literally was folding them, I was organising the drawer, like, that's how much procrastination, I know. I've stopped doing it now, but, you know, maybe I should bring it back. Hey, Tony, I know you do, mate. I know you do. Well, today we're going to be looking at the happy life. And we're going to look at what gives us happiness, what gives you happiness. And we all want happiness. We want happiness that lasts. Not just a temporary thing. We want happiness that lasts. It's what we call joy. But the problem we face is that true happiness is only possible when we're truly present in our lives. True happiness is only possible when you're truly present in your life. And we can find temporary highs, but real happiness is only possible when you're present in real life. So the challenge we face in being present is that it's a little bit uncomfortable. It's a little bit uh, difficult because life can be tough, it can be painful, it can be inconsistent and boring and disappointing. And so actually being present isn't something we like to do. So rather than live in the here and now and in our present realities, we choose to live elsewhere. We take our minds, we take our hearts, and we take them to somewhere else. It's what we call escapism. Escapism. And escapism is easier than ever before. There's more and more options and opportunities for you to escape than there's ever been. And companies make a billions on the hope of the back of you escaping and they're trying desperately to make you escape as much as possible because their job their business their millions depend on it so what are some of the most common places that we go to when we try to escape in search of happiness let's have a look at some of the different areas and see if you can identify which are the most common places that you go to first of all digital worlds Our phones are an escape of choice for many, whether it's uh, Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook or BBC News, whatever your favorite site or app is, we love to turn to our phones in search of happiness. We can't be bothered sometimes in conversations, so what do we do? Check our phones. Or we're at a red light in a car and we're like, man, this is like 15 seconds of waiting. So what do you do? If you've got jeans on, you do that awkward kind of like try and squeeze it out and, you know, check your emails. You're at a restaurant and someone goes to the toilet and you can't wait for two minutes for them to come back. What do you do? Check your messages. We spend hours and hours trying to get that 
perfect selfie with the good lighting where a nose doesn't look quite as big as it is and kind of edit it slightly so I don't look just like that and hopefully I'll get a good number of likes on this or I'll delete it after half an hour or we, we spend ages trying to craft that witty status that's going to get all the likes and maybe a smile emoji on Facebook. More and more and more, we're addicted to the drug-like chemical that comes from every like and favourite that our friends and followers give us. And this is a big one for me. I've really noticed over the past year that when I'm feeling stressed or anxious, the very first thing I do is reach for my phone. It's like a knee-jerk reaction to me now. It's a big one for us. There's also TV, filming, film and gaming. This is something that we massively turn to as an escape. There's the world of romance and explosions and superheroes and dragons. And I don't know if you have any idea just how much that we as Brits spend on TV. I don't know if you've ever seen the stats on this. Do you know who here, what would your guess be for the number of hours that the average Brit spends watching TV every week? What would your guess be? In an average week, what uh, number of hours do we spend watching TV? 24 hours a week. That's an average of three and a half hours a day that we as Brits, on average, spend watching TV. And across our lifetime, that's an average of 10 years that you and I spend watching TV. 10 years on the average lifetime for a British person. It's one of our favourite places to live. Next, we escape to substances. It's been a stressful day at work, or maybe the, the kids are just going berserk. And you just start thinking about the evening when you can finish off that bottle of wine or start to think about how you can go around your mate's house and get high. And you start thinking more and more about these substances or is it the back of our mind and we think about how if I just gorge myself on that chocolate or just, you know, have a few drinks and finally I can just take the edge off a little bit. I can numb the pain a little bit. I don't have to literally, I can literally forget what I'm going through and just relax into somewhere else. The next one of our favorite places is busyness. This is a big one. This is a massive one. And as we know in London, we've got to pay the bills. Life here is not cheap. You've got to pay your rent. You've got to pay your bills. But work can become an escape for people. And yeah, often we have to work long hours because our jobs demand it. But for many of us, we end up staying later at work, not because we have to, but because it's easier than going home. See, for many of us, we, there's this great phrase I found this week which I thought was interesting. Someone said, work is easier than love. A philosopher, um, I, I don't know if he's French or he's just got a pretentious name, Alain de Botton, I don't know if that's how you say it, uh, Alain de Botton, uh, I'm sure he's very deep and philosophical, um, he explains that, where is, uh, do you know? He's he, oh, he's English, wow, why has he got that name then? Fair enough, whatever, um, sorry Alain, um, <laughs> whereas personal relationships can be messy, in the workplace, there's more established boundaries for what you can do and what you can say. So there's kind of a code of conduct and um, we have to have a bit of a filter on because if you don't, you could lose your job. And so there's certain expectations, there's certain realities. And if you don't like your colleagues, if you don't like those around you, you can ask for a move to another department or ultimately you can just move to a different company. But real life, in normal day-to-day -day relationships, things don't work like that. 
That's not how normal relationships are. When you come home from work and the kids are crying or you're having to kind of walk on eggshells a little bit because that comment you made about your wife last night or you keep getting that text from that person who's clearly in a bad way and wants to hang out with you but you just can't be bothered to deal with their drama anymore. It's so much easier to just, sorry mate, busy or just spend a few extra hours at work and you know what? The crazy thing about this one, the deadly thing about this one, is people will praise you for it. Because busyness has become a badge of honor in our culture. We praise it because it makes you sound important. Oh, you're busy. People must need you. It's the reason why I would say 90% of the times I ask people, how's things going? And they go beyond that, yeah, all right, you're right. You say, how's things going? The number one thing that we say to each other is what? Yeah, busy. Yeah, it's been busy, man, busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it makes you sound important. You've got things to do, and it's also easier to fob people off if you're busy. We praise it. Busyness has become this badge of honor, and so we happily say, yeah, yeah, busy, busy, with no recognition that being constantly busy is not just bad physically for the stress it will cause, but it's bad relationally, and it's bad spiritually. Next, we can escape to the past. And Dave covered this so well a few weeks ago when he looked at nostalgia and how we can look to the past. And I think um, this is a massive thing in our, gen- in our generation. And we go on uh, any social media feed, there's so much nostalgia. There'll be memes about old school TV shows and that kind of gif about, oh, isn't it crazy? 20 years ago today, Spice Girls released Wannabe. Or there'll be that BuzzFeed article about 47 reasons that you can know you're a kid of the 90s. Social media feeds just filled and filled with nostalgia. Because our generation loves it. Why? Because we're not too happy with how things are right now. We don't like the, the change that's happened. Work's pretty boring. It's not exactly kind of all the stuff we dreamed of as a kid. And then we read the news in politics and Korea and America and Russia and all these crazy things. And we just want to go back to the past when times were a bit simpler. When we had our Pokemon cards and Tamagotchis. When we didn't have to you know, worry about all the stress that technology causes us. We talk about the good old days. And, but have you noticed how we often airbrush out the bad? How we look back with rose-tinted spectacles. How we're like, oh man, like so much easier before phones. No, can you remember what it was like when you were a kid? And you said to your mum, you'd meet her at 3.30 at Argos. And if you're stood outside Argos at 3.30 and your mum's not there... It was sheer panic. I mean, you were screwed. I remember that feeling. Don't go telling me it was better times back then. And you were screwed unless you had a 20p for the payphone. Sorry if you've never seen a payphone before. If you're under like 20, they, they used to exist before Wi-Fi payphones and all that. 20p was your lifesaver. Or if you had parents who were rich enough to not get annoyed if you did the reverse charge call for 160. Anyone remember that one? Did that once. Never again. Again, sorry if that over your heads. Just be glad you didn't have to explain the 160 charge to your parents. We go to the past. Or we go to the future. The grass is greener on the other side. What will be? When I just get this thing in the future, then I'll be happy. And this might be you if you're someone who loves change. You love change. You're thinking, if I just tweak this, if I just update that, then finally life will be good. Change will be this this thing that finally brings me into happiness. It's why we love the word new. 
because what we've got now is not satisfying us. So, yeah, let's, let's hope that the new thing will bring change, something we actually want. Living in the future. Here's another one. Shallowness. Escape into friendships where there's unwritten rules that you never go deep or talk about emotions. Now, this is a massive one, not just for guys, it's for girls as well, but for us guys, this is a massive one, huge, huge issue. And we can know each other as mates for years and never really know each other. I was thinking about this at Christmas time when I'd spent the whole day with my mates. We went to play pool together. We went uh, out for a meal. We went to the pub. We'd been hanging out for hours and hours and hours. And the next day I spoke to my mum and she said, oh, how's pool doing? And uh, I was like, uh, yeah, I don't really know, to be honest. We, um, we didn't really talk about that sort of thing. And she was just so confused. I mean, this is a guy I've known since I was four. We'd hung out all day. And I never was like, oh, yeah, how's things going in your life? And we talked for hours about whether United could finally win the Premier League. And whether if the latest version of FIFA was as good as the latest version of Pro Evolution Soccer. We talked for hours about that. But for one of us to say, yeah, you know, I'm actually struggling a little bit of loneliness at the moment. Or actually, yeah, I've got anxiety, which I know some of the issues going on in my friendship group. If one of us to actually admit that, it would be so awkward. It'd be just one of those sort of like, uh, sorry, uh, sorry, mate. Um, uh, another, another drink? Uh, and some of you guys know exactly what those relationships are like. Safe, nice escapes for us where we can avoid things going on in our lives. Which do you escape to? Where do you escape and the thing, the thing is, these, these areas, these things can be good things. They're not bad necessarily in themselves. They can be good to visit, but bad places to live. They can provide rest. We can enjoy them in healthy ways. But the problem is, when you escape, eventually, you have to return. And after that high's worn off, then comes the low. And sometimes you feel worse than you felt beforehand. And you've got to escape that quickly to another high to get another fix. Escapism regularly, regularly escaping will lead to two things, neither of which are lasting happiness. And they're addiction and avoidance. Avoidance, ignoring people you need to speak with. Staying away from environments that could be slightly awkward or you're not in control of. Addiction. I just, I need that thing to function now. It's calling the shots in my life now. Escapism will not lead to happiness. True happiness is only possible when you're truly present in your life. So how do we face the challenges head on and not escape them? Well, what solutions does the world offer us? What power, what strength does it give us to walk through the storms of life? Well, phrases and sentiments such as, Hey, chin up, chin up. It's going to be okay. You can do this. Things will get better. But what power, what comfort, what effect does that really have? Does it do the job? Because how do you know you can do it? And how do you know things will get better? What if things actually end up getting worse? And they may well get a lot worse. 
We need to have a happiness based on a hope that's founded on something far more permanent, far more strong, far more lasting than mine or your willpower. We need our happiness to be based on something reliable and consistent. The Apostle Paul, one of the great thinkers and writers of the first century, he went through all sorts of hardships in his life. Tons and tons of highs and lows and uh, and pain and physical uh, issues and relationship breakdown. And in in a letter he wrote to the Philippians, he said, after all of these experiences, I finally found what he describes as the secret to being content. I'm pretty interested in knowing what that secret is. And he writes it in Philippians 4 verse 12. He says this. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here it is. Here's the secret. I can do all things through him Jesus, who gives me strength. I can do all things through him, Jesus, who gives me strength. And what's, what's he saying? He's saying, I've tried to, to live and to find happiness in my own ability, in my own actions, but there's only one way that lasts. There's only one person who can be relied on. There's only uh, one thing that is going to take you through the storms and the trials of life. And it's not my willpower, but it's Jesus The one who gives strength in every situation, in every high, in every low. In Matthew 11, 28, Jesus says the same thing. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, come to me. If you're weary, if you're escaping, come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll take your burden. I'll I'll give you joy. I'll give you lasting happiness. In 1 Peter 5 verse 7, God says, Cast all your anxiety on me because I care for you. Bring everything, including your fears, your worries, your doubts, your disappointments, Tell me what you're going through. Share with me your heart. And then listen to my voice. Listen to the words that I have for you. Listen to who I am and who I've made you to be. Hear his words. Read his wonderful promises in the Bible. And be reminded of the truth of who he's made you to be. If you're feeling ashamed, Read Psalm 103 where God says, As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions, your sins from you. If you're feeling tired, read Isaiah 40. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. If you feel like you can't be yourself without having a few drinks... Read Ephesians 5, where God says, don't be drunk on wine, but have something much better. Be filled with the Spirit. 
I'm with you. I'm on your side. You're living for an audience of one now. I'm your father and you're my child. And I love the way that you sing and kind of the way you dance and those awkward quirks and uh, weird things that you do. Because I delight in you. I can't get enough in rejoicing in who you are, my child. If you feel like you have to keep maintaining this image of having it all together, Jesus says, I've done it. It is finished. You no longer have to impress me or impress others. You're a son, you're a daughter, and who I'm well pleased. If you're feeling lonely, read Hebrews 13. God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. If you're feeling rejected, God says in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're feeling worthless, God says you have so much value. In Psalm 139, he says, I knitted you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully, beautifully made. Do you want happiness in your life? Come to God. Come to God. Tell him what's going on. And listen to his truth. And it's why times of worship can be so powerful. It's why worship can be so powerful in our lives. Because we bring our experiences and our emotions to God. And we line them up with his truth. And at this point it's worth uh, correcting some of the misconception that we can have around worship. So I think sometimes we can, and I, I did this for many years, we can come to worship with a, a mindset and, and kind of phrases such as, God, we come to you now and we forget everything that's going on in our lives and we focus on you. And I've said those phrases many a time, often from stages, and I've, I've had that mindset in worship. But then I, I realized that wasn't the approach that God was inviting us to. Because the problem is, if we just ignore our problems when we come to worship, worship just becomes another form of escapism. There becomes this disconnect from the words you sing and the reality you face. But Jesus tells us not to hide, but to bring our worries to cast our cares onto him, to give them to him. We look at the songbook of the Bible, the Psalms, and we see the, the songs regularly start with the writer pouring out their heart, their frustrations. Look at David, the most famous of psalmists. And I mean, I, I'm trying to imagine what this would be like in a church context, but this is what he writes, King David in Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fail. But, but, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing of the Lord's I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. When we come to Jesus, when we bring our prayer to him, our prayer is God, here's all that's going on. 
And, and as you see in that psalm, just as I read it, I almost felt awkward saying it. Like, I don't know if we necessarily have space in our own lives for prayers like that. But I just feel like going to say, when you come to him, come saying with the emotion, the rawness of how you feel. And this is how it, it feels right now, God. This is how you seem to me right now. But, but I know the truth is this. And I know, even though I don't always feel it right now, that you are this. And that's more important than what I'm currently feeling. And so whatever happens here, whether that changes or not, tonight I'm going to choose to worship you. Today I'm going to choose to praise you. Today I'm going to choose to say you are good even though I don't feel it. I'm going to worship you as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The Good Shepherd who loves me even when I don't feel it. I know that you are God. That's the approach we have when we come to God. So what's the practical application of all this? How do you apply this in your life? Well, I just want to encourage you in the days ahead to ask yourself the question, where are you escaping to? Maybe when you heard that list, there was one you're like, yeah. Like for me, I'm really, really challenged on my phone at the moment. Like it's, <laughs> I literally, it's, it's ridiculous. I can't go to the toilet without looking for my phone if I don't have it. Like I, I, it's like a comfort blanket for me. It's silly. But it's become an escape for me. and I need to address that. What's it for you? Where are you escaping? And when you've identified those areas, ask yourself these three questions. If I can find them in my notes, just kill the moment for a second there. That's great. We'll edit that one out with the audio. <laughs> wow, this is, this is embarrassing. There we go. So you've worked out where are you escaping to? Then ask, what are you escaping? Why are you escaping it? Really try and get to the real. Why am I trying to escape this? Why can't I seem to look at it face on? And then the key one, what is the truth that I can believe in Jesus? What am I escaping? Why am I escaping? And what is the truth in Jesus? And then get that truth in your life. There's this verse in uh, Deuteronomy 6 where God says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. It's saying get around people who are going to remind you of truth. It's like that word that came out in worship. Get around people who are going to lift your arms when you're feeling weak. That's why community is so important. Some of you are wondering, man, why do they hold up that community magazine every week and keep going on about it? If you're not in a community, it's because this is central to the Christian life. If you, for some reason, thought you could be a Christian without having a community around you, you're in the wrong religion. This isn't how it works. We need one another. Jesus puts people in our lives to support us along the journey. Get in community. It's central to everything. And get truth around you. Whether it's verses as the background on your phone or a post-it note on your, your mirror that you need to see when you start believing those lies. For me, this is, has had a big impact. Recently, I got a nice hipstery uh, board for Christmas. And uh, yeah, very, very hipster, um, straight out of a, a trendy coffee shop. But this genuinely has made a, lot, a difference to me over the last six weeks. So for those who are struggling to see or maybe have had an eye operation in the last few days, it says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be anxious I'm your God. You know, I've, over the past month, there's been multiple times where I've been lying in bed 
and I can't sleep, and I'm running through stuff in my mind of stressful things, and <laughs> what am I trying? I want to reach for my phone because that will me switch off, and I'm trying not to do that. And I'll see in the corner of my room that sign, and I just feel this peace come to me. There's nothing magical about that sign. It just points me to the truth of who God is. Where do you need to put some truth in your life this week? Where are you most tempted to believe lies? Get some truth in there. Maybe just say to a mate, you know what, I'm really struggling with anxiety. Can you just text me some verses every day this week? I'd really appreciate that. Get truth in your life. It is possible to live a life of joy. We have good news. That's what the gospel, you might hear that word, like what does gospel mean? It means good news, literally that's what it means. Good news of great joy for all people. We no longer need to bury our heads in the sand or find ways to numb our pain. We no longer need to escape. Why? Because of a moment that all history hinges upon. A moment where a man looked anxiety and rejection and pain and death in the face. A moment so excruciating that every fiber in his, be- in, in his being wanted to escape and take an easier option. A moment so excruciating that his body went into shutdown and he literally began to sweat blood. And in that moment on the Mount of Olives, Jesus came before his father and said, Father, if you are willing, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Take this suffering from me. And then what was his response? I'm going to escape. No, he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I know I could escape. I know this road I'm about to walk on is going to lead to suffering like no one could ever imagine. But it's the only way for them to be free. The only way for them to be free from the punishment they deserve. The only way for them to know lasting happiness. And so, not my will, but yours be done. I'll do this. And for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He looked at the cross and then looked beyond it. And what did he see? In the foreground, torture, incredible agony, separation from his father, pain, flogging, being nailed to a cross, humiliation, rejection, and death. He looked beyond that. And what did he see? He saw you. He saw you. The joy of having relationship with you. He saw you. Not as, you know, the good person who is down on knees praying, waiting for God to come. But he saw you in your rebellion and in your darkness and in your sin. Not searching for God. Not looking for him. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he said, I know they're going to continue to reject me, but I'm going to die still in their place for the joy of knowing them one day, 
For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. The joy of having relationship with you and me. No longer restricted by sin. Instead of punishment, we receive mercy. Instead of death, we receive life. Instead of despair, we receive hope. Because Jesus didn't escape, you can be present. And you can know joy. That is the happy life. That is the happy life. Because Jesus didn't escape, you can be present and you can know joy. A life purchased by death, a peace won through sorrow, an eternal joy that can never be taken away because of Jesus.